All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. First Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to start today. This is week number three of our series called A Simple Choice. And I'm going to start out today by asking a question. I asked this um, a few weeks ago in another series, but I want to ask it again. How many of you have ever, and everyone's got to play, everyone's got to like, you know, it's all skate, one of those questions. Um, how many of you have ever quit on a diet of any kind? Raise your hand. Okay. Again, that's most of us. How many of you have never quit on a diet? Anybody? Yeah, because I've never been on one. Like that's, right, that's, somebody's going to say that. Um, I've been working on one now since the beginning of the year, and I, I was doing well. Um, I was doing really well. I know some of you are thinking like, I can't see it. Well, I can, could, right? I mean, I, w- I was doing, I was doing really good, and then something happened. Now, I'm going to do what everybody does that we talked about in week one, and I'm going to shift the blame. I'm going to take the blame off of me, and I'm going to put the blame on where it really belongs. It belongs to a little girl who goes to church here. I'm not going to tell you her name because that would be weird, but I will tell you, she's a Girl Scout. A cute Girl Scout with big eyes. Pastor Ryan, would you buy some some cookies? She sold me some cookies, and I ordered from her. And, and here's the thing. I didn't even have her order yet, but she showed me the cookies. She showed me what I could have, what I wanted, what I didn't need, And that's all I could think about. And so I started buying these outside of Hy-Vee and Walmart. Like, I don't even have, like, she's bringing these, like, how many boxes I ordered? Like 20, right? 20 boxes of cookies. And I get them this morning. I don't even need them, right? And so I've I've got these. Because these, these are a weakness for me. Now, the nutritional information on these, like, how many of you care about nutritional information? A couple people. Two cookies is 130 calories. Two. Two cookies. And they're not even that big. My problem is that these things are like crack. And so so I got these, and I legit, I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to honor this diet. You know, I've been working out. I've been doing this stuff. I'm only going to eat two. Because two cookies never killed anybody, right? Maybe. Maybe maybe that's what did somebody in. This is the last two, and that is. The problem is, after I ate two cookies, what did I do? I ate two more. And after that, I ate two more. Before I knew it, I ate the whole dang bag. Like, this is nothing for me to go through this entire thing in one sitting. Here's my point. This is where I'm going with this. These are significantly holding me back from my goal. Now, I know... Some of you are saying, well, I don't, I don't struggle with those. You know what? I thought about you. Because you're more of a chips person, right? Like, like this is you. Like, like a, a bag of chips, they got a shot in my house. Like, it, it just does. It could sit here for probably weeks. These things do not. Like, like how many of you, like, you struggle more with this than you do this? How many of you struggle more with this? How, how many of you more with this? How many of you are like, I don't struggle with either of those? I thought of you, too. This one's going to tick you off. I'm just saying. See, these things hold us back from our goal. 
If you're trying to be healthy, if you're trying to stay in the right mind, if you're trying to stay focused, they, they hold you back from your goal. All of us have these types of things in our lives. And we're going to have to fight them on a continual basis. The same thing that's true physically in our lives is true spiritually. I want to let you know that I want more than anything in this church, for our church, I want us to see an experience and, 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 and have a significant move of God happen here in this place. One is so big, one is so powerful, that it literally changes our entire community. It changes the people in the community. I want our church to be known as a place where people experience the presence of God each and every Sunday. I want that. I want that so bad for our church. But what I want even more is for that to happen to individuals who attend this church. Because I believe, this is me, I believe that it would be a tragedy to see God do something great with our church, but not do something great in our individual lives. Because if he starts doing great things in our individual lives, the movement of God will take place in the church naturally. We'll have natural momentum. But one of the things we've got to deal with, if we want God to do a significant work in our lives, is we've got to identify spiritually, what is this? What are these things? What is the thing What are these things in our life that's going to hold us back from being everything that God has called us to be? How do we, how do we identify this? And then how do we get it out of our lives? I I can tell you this. These right here, these are not in my house right now. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do when that little girl comes up to me this morning and wants her $150 for all the cookies that I bought. Free cookies for everybody here, I guess. I, I don't know, but they're not. I can't have them. Because they set me back. The same thing is true spiritually. There are things that significantly hold us back. And if there's something that holds you back in your relationship with God, you need to identify what is it and how do you get it out. Because ultimately, it's not good for us. And so, real quick review. In this series, we've been talking about a prophet named who? Elijah, not Elisha, he's later on. This is Elijah. Elijah goes to Ahab, who's king of Israel, and he tells him, hey man, it's not going to rain unless I say it's going to rain. And Ahab didn't believe him, which is like us, like we wouldn't believe him either. But then it didn't rain. And so Elijah disappears. He goes out and he hides by the Kerish brook. And remember, the ravens brought him food every day. And then the brook dries up, and God tells him he needs to go to Zarephath, and he needs to go to a widow to take care of him. And remember, we talked about all these unclean things, and we talked about um, how cool that was that, that Elijah was dealing with all of these unclean things and, and how much God deals with us and the unclean in our lives, things, things like this. Well, he goes there, and he hangs out with this widow, and her son dies, and Elijah brings him back to life, and it's a really super cool story. And then this happens. We're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago, chapter 2, verse 1. Later on, in the third year of the drought, which year? Third. It's important. Third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So rain is coming. All right, that's an important thing. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks here in this series. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Now, I want to point something out, and this is, this is kind of a, a pet peeve of mine. Uh, I'm sure it's a pet peeve of many people in this room, if you'll be honest. The Bible, again, says in what year? Third year. Third year. Elijah had to wait three years. Little confession. 
I hate to wait. I hate it. I do. Nobody in this room likes to wait. Nobody. Nobody woke up this morning and said, Oh, God, I'm so grateful for today. Today after church, I want to go to lunch somewhere, and I want to wait an hour for my food. Like, nobody said that, right? If you did, please come up here and preach, because like we all need to know how, how to do that. Last week, um, I was at State Wrestling uh, for Jaira, and um, in between sessions, I would go back to the hotel, and I would watch my daughter Chloe was playing softball, and it was on TV, and, um, and so I was watching these games on TV. It was, it was pretty awesome. Um, I was hungry, and the hotel didn't have room service, but they recommended DoorDash. I had never used DoorDash before. Anybody? Anybody use it? It is awesome. Sometimes. All right? So, because of this. First time I used DoorDash. First time. First time I ever used it. No experience with it whatsoever. I downloaded the app, entered my information, ordered from Zombie Burger. How many of you like Zombie Burger? How many had that? Man, that place is legit. Like, that, that place is good. Had my food to my room, downloaded the app, entered my information ordered the food. The food was to my room on the seventh floor of this hotel in less than 15 minutes. That's the entire process. I'm like, it's the greatest thing in the world. I couldn't even drive there and get my food that fast. I'm like, this is awesome. Later that night, I ordered sushi to my room in under 30 minutes. It was absolutely phenomenal. I'm like, I love DoorDash. Look, I'm going to get DoorDash shirt. I'm going to preach a DoorDash. Like, that's going to be my NIL from now on is DoorDash. Like, I'm, I'm using it. Like, DoorDash is the greatest. Next night, we got back super late. Only thing open was Taco Bell. I'm like, all right, midnight run for the border. Ain't no big deal. Called, waited. 20 minutes, no food. Now, I'm already in the habit of 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Now, 20 minutes, Taco Bell should be there in 20 minutes. 45 minutes later... Get a text. Taco Bell is closed. What you mean, DoorDash? You're failing me already. Why'd you take the order? And it popped up that there was this other Mexican restaurant that was ordered or that was open. So now I'm like, I'm in the mood for tacos, but it's already past midnight and I'm kind of tired. I just want to sleep. But I had the meal credits because they canceled out from the Taco Bell thing. So I ordered these tacos from this other place. That food got there in 20 minutes. But again, it's late, so I gave the food away to Jira and all his friends. Now, here, here's the problem. I hate to wait. I hate it. I hate, and it frustrated me to no end. Now, I know somebody is saying, Pastor Ryan, God was just trying to teach you patience. It wasn't God. It was the devil holding me back from getting my tacos. Like, that, that's what it was. I hate to wait. Nobody in this room loves to wait. I don't like to wait on people. I don't like to wait on food. And, and true confession, I don't like to wait on God. I wish I had the gift of praying for something and it happened, boom, right then. Don't, don't you? But, but listen, when it comes to prayer and God, most of the time, it's a process. We talk about that a lot here at Central. It's a process, which is why this story gets me. Can you imagine Elijah waiting for three years we have a problem waiting three minutes. Like if a show doesn't load on Netflix fast enough, we're like, oh, stupid Wi-Fi, reset the router. If I'm Elijah, a week into it, I'm like, hey, God, huh, I don't know if you see this or not, 
Things are drying up. Not time, Elijah. Okay. A day later, God, things are getting a little dry. Like, come on, God. Elijah, you got to wait. Can you imagine a year in? A year. A year. A year. Can you imagine? If I'm Elijah, I'm like, God, I thought you said it was not going to rain. Maybe you said I was going to experience pain because this is no fun, God. This hurts. Year two? God, come on. What are you doing? God, this is ridiculous. You ever been frustrated with God? You ever been frustrated with God? It's okay to say yes here. Other churches, you might have to say, no, I've always loved and trusted him. (laughs) I've been frustrated. I've been incredibly frustrated. I imagine Elijah was super frustrated. And then year three, in year three, God says, Elijah, it's time. Now, what I want to point out is during the season of waiting, God wasn't punishing him. God was preparing him. And there could be a season in your life where you think you're being punished, but you're actually being prepared. I know what that's like. Anybody else? I know it's like God does that. See, here's the thing. I got a question for you. Please be honest with me. You got to be honest. How many people in this room, if I said, after the service today, we're going to step outside and we're going to run 10 miles without stopping? No walking, straight up, 10 mile pace or less. How many of you could run 10 miles today? Raise your hand. How many of you could do it? Anybody? Helm Camp, you can't do it? Maybe. You push yourself. Maybe. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you could do that, the reason you could do it is because you did what? You prepared, right? You're you're prepared for it. You can run 10 miles because you prepared. When you prepare for something, don't miss this. When you prepare for something, you can accomplish it. That's what I love about Elijah in the story. When God took him on his next step, he was ready. God had prepared him. And so for him, instead of feeling like he was being punished, he knew that God was preparing him to step into the thing that God had next for him. The reason I say this is because maybe you're getting ready to step out of a season that you thought was punishment, but it's actually been preparation. Maybe you're getting ready to step out of anxiety. Maybe you're getting ready to step out of depression. Maybe you're getting ready to step out of worry. Maybe you're getting ready to step out of loneliness. You're getting ready to step out of addiction. And you're getting ready to step into what God has planned for you. Listen, I know what it feels like when you feel like you're being punished, but you're actually being prepared. I do. I know what that feels like, and many of you know what it feels like too. So Elijah, he goes to Ahab, and we're going to skip a few verses because I want to point this out today. We'll come back to those other verses probably next week. But he goes to King Ahab, a Baal worshiper. King Ahab worships Baal. And this is what Ahab says in verse 17. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it is really you. Is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Anytime, anytime, don't, don't miss this. When it comes to your next steps, anytime you get ready to step in with what God has called you to do, you're going to face accusation and condemnation from the enemy. Every single time, every time you step into what's next, you're going to face accusation and condemnation from the enemy because he knows if he can shut you down with an accusation, he knows if he can stop you with condemnation. Man, it's such an effective weapon of the enemy. You ever been accused of something you didn't do? Anybody? That's probably all of us. I'm sure we could all stand up here with the microphone and tell stories. 
Everybody knows what it's like to get accused of something you didn't do. What's happening here is Ahab's actually the problem. But it's easy to shift the blame, right? It's easy to blame somebody else so you don't have to deal with your own stuff. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Anyway, big Taylor Swift fan. Some of you don't know what that is, and that's, that's okay. So, so Ahab tells Elijah, hey, you've made trouble for Israel. Now, I want to spend a few minutes here teaching um, on the difference between conviction and condemnation. Because conviction is from God. And it's always good because it's designed to draw us close. That's what conviction is. Conviction's from God. It's always good. It's designed to draw us close. Condemnation is from the enemy. It's designed to push us away. Conviction draws us close. Condemnation pushes us away. So let me give you three questions I have to work through in my mind when I'm trying to figure out if something is conviction or condemnation. All right? So these are three things. When somebody's coming after me, i got to work these out in my mind. I'm going to let you in on them today, too, so you can start working through them. Number one, is it true? Is it true? When it comes to condemnation versus um, condemnation versus conviction, is what somebody is saying, is the accusation being thrown against me, is it true? A week or so ago, um, I was talking with a friend, and somebody walked by us and said, I heard you got a speeding ticket for going 150 miles an hour. You should be more respectful to the police, and you should honor your role as a pastor. Now, now I laughed, because it's not true. I got a warning for going 80, and I told the officer I was on my way to hit 150 when I saw him and pulled over. Big difference, right? But I wasn't going 150. I, I wasn't. Like, God stepped in and intervened, and I, I didn't do it. And so this is a big conversation, and this person walked away, and my friend said, did that bother you? I said, no, not at all, because it's not true. Like, it's not even remotely close to you. I'm like, well, but they were giving you, like, all this stuff, and they were saying, and it was like, that was really condemning. I, I'm like, you know what? People are going to believe whatever people want to believe, even, even if it's not true. And, and haters are going to hate, yes or no? Yeah. All right, so it wasn't true. However... On another instance, somebody told me, you're nothing but a drug addict. Like, they put that on Facebook. Like, put that on our church Facebook page. Now, here's the problem. At one point in my life, that was true. It's not true today, but it was true. And that's what the enemy will do with you sometimes. He'll bring up something that was true in our past and try to bring it into our present. But who you used to be is not who you are today in Christ. Amen? So even though it used to be true, it's not true today. But see, if something is true, if God is bringing something into the light that is true, it's not because he's trying to hold you down. He's trying to help you out. So if it's true, it's conviction. If it's not true, it's condemnation. And what we see with Elijah is that the enemy, Ahab, was trying to condemn him. So question number one, is it true? Second question, is it helpful? Is it helpful? How many, of you, um, how many of you know that when you have a kid, the first two years of that kid's life, you're just trying to figure out how to keep him alive? How many of you know that? Because if that kid can do something to destroy himself or herself or the house, oh boy, Right? So you're just trying to keep the kid alive. So question for parents. If you're in your kitchen and you have the stove on 
And let's say the right front burner is just glowing hot red. And you've got a kid in the kitchen. What's your kid going to do every single time? Go to the stove, right? Now, as a parent, you've got a couple options. You can say, you know what? I'm going to watch how this plays out. I'm going to let this little idiot figure this out on himself. Right? I mean, you, you could do that. That would be a horrible parent, though, yes or no? Absolutely. So you got option A, which is you can jump up on your countertop. You can jump off, come down with like a Hulk Hogan flying elbow, drop on, on your kid, pick him up, scream at him, tell him what an idiot he is. How can you be this stupid? Stop acting like your mother and throw him in another direction. N- nobody thinks that's a good idea, right? Like nobody would. I'm not advocating for that at all. Um, I've experienced. I'll do that. Um, but but isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that's what we think God does to us? That God just slams down in front of us, picks us up, yells at us, and screams at us, and throws us in another direction? So we can do that. Or we have the option of we can run to the kid, we can pick the kid up, we can point at the stove, and as lovingly as possible say, no. And in our best way, explain to the kid that that will hurt them. And put them down and point them in another direction. That's helpful. That's conviction. Condemnation is coming off the countertop and yelling and screaming at them. That's condemnation. Conviction is doing the right thing so the kid will not experience pain. That's why God convicts us of sin. Because he doesn't want to see us get hurt. So, is it true? Is it helpful? And the third question is, does it draw me in or push me away? Does it draw me in or does it push me away? Because conviction will always draw us closer to God. It's kind of like that thing, like when when God identifies something and he gets it out of our lives, it's always this, it's just this huge weight off of our shoulders. But condemnation really does push us away. Think about the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. When the son came home, because he was convicted, right? I mean, that's what the, the Bible says when he came to his senses. That means he, he was convicted that what he was doing was wrong. When he came home, what did the father do? What did the father do? Ran out, met him, and hugged him. Welcomed him home. Didn't push him away. That's what, that's what conviction does. It draws us in. It's helpful. So Elijah, he gets like, throat punch with conviction from Ahab. And I love the boldness of Elijah. Because see, when you've been waiting on God for three years, and God gives you the green light to step into what God has called you to do, you can step into it with boldness. You can step into it with conviction. I love this. Watch this. Verse 18. I've made no trouble for Israel. Do you know sometimes that you just got to speak the truth out loud? I mean, sometimes you just got to shout it out. Sometimes you got to remind yourself, I know who I am in Christ, devil. Like, my sins are paid for. I am forgiven. Not today. That Leave me alone. Go away. So, so I love the fact. He says, I haven't made any trouble. Then he goes on and says, you and your family are the troublemakers. He's like, I mean, if you want to get real, let's get real. Like, you, you're the problem, king. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Do you see that? He called out what he did wrong. But he didn't say, you're a pathetic, miserable being. He just said, hey, here's actually the situation. And then he says this, verse 19, Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 
the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab commanded all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Can you imagine the boldness it took? Can you imagine this? There's going to be a fight. And it's him against 850 prophets. One prophet versus 850. I don't care how tough you are. You could not defeat 850 people on your own. He had to have known that God was with him. Watch what happens. Verse 21. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. For the people were completely silent. Is this a difficult choice? He stands in front of the people, doesn't go off on them, doesn't tell them that they're pathetic, miserable human beings. He just goes, hey guys, here's a question. It's been three years. It's been no rain. Baal, your rain god, hasn't done anything for you. And so if God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. What do you think? And everybody is silent. You know, that's how we are sometimes. God will clearly point something out in our lives that shouldn't be there. And instead of surrender, we choose silence. Listen, conviction over sin is something as followers of Jesus that we need to deal with. And remember, when God convicts us, it's never to punish us. He convicts us because he's trying to promote us to greater levels of courage, greater levels of faith, greater levels of trust. God is not doing it to push us down, but to draw us in. So what do we do? (coughs) It's a really simple choice. Is God God? Or is he not God? Is he God? Or is he not God? Because see, God is asking, what is... What is this in your life? What's holding you back from becoming what you ultimately know he's calling you to be? Oh, by the way, if you struggle with this, but you don't struggle with this, you have no right to look down on somebody who struggles with this. See, in the church world, these people look down on these people. And 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 these people, like that's the church world, right? Newsflash. The only people we have in this room are messy people. Another message or for another time, but stop judging. You're no better than anybody. So what's the thing? What's the thing? Because see, here's the thing I've discovered about God. He convicts us of things as we're able to handle it. Like, when I first became a Christian, if he would have convicted me of everything on the spot, it would have crushed me. But God says, now we need to deal with this. 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 this." And as we confess to him, it's like this weight that comes off of our shoulders, and we're able to walk in more and more and more and more and more and more and more freedom. So with all that, let me ask you this question. Is there something holding you back from what God has ultimately called you to be? Because if so, here's what's beautiful. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, he said this in 1 John 1, 19. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, what's that next word say? What's it say? All. See, there are some people in this room, 
you've been convinced that God forgives all sin except for your sin. That's not right. Because he cleanses us from all wickedness, from all unrighteousness, from all sin. Now, confession, this used to confuse me for a long time because I'd be like, when God know everything? Like, isn't God, like, outside of time? Isn't he, like, all-knowing, all-powerful? Like, God knows everything, right? And then I learned that confession isn't informational. It's transformational. It's not information. It's agreement. Confession is where we say, hey, you know what, God? <coughs> I have this issue in my life. This is what you say about it, and I'm agreeing with you. You say it's sin, I'm saying it's sin. There is power. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. There is power when we come into agreement with God because that means we're starting to see things the way God sees them. We're starting to view things the way God views them. We're starting to feel about things the way that God feels about them. And that is always a good thing. See, condemnation pushes us down, but confession, confession actually builds us up. The prayers that I've taught you over and over and over and over over the years is God, help me see things the way you see things. God, help me see things the way you see things. That, that, that is a prayer we need to continually be praying. So what is it that God is trying to do? And by the way, if you're feeling some tension right now, keep in mind, I've been holding on to this message for two weeks. <laughs> and so he really been dealing with some stuff with me. I get it. But, but I just want this to be a safe place where you can walk in and you can say, God, you know what? This is who I am. This is what's going on in my life. I need help. And, and then feel the freedom to confess, knowing that, that, that when you do, God's not trying to make you feel shame. He, he's, he's trying to help you step into a place of victory. All right, that's the first step. The second step, second step is a hard step. This is a scary step. But because James, the brother of Jesus, said this, we've got to take it seriously. James said this, chapter 5. Verse 16, he says, confess your sins to who? Uh, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There are people in this room, you've been forgiven, but you've never been healed because you've held that in. Now, I know why you've done it because you're in the church world. And in the church world, people can be mean because in the church world, when you confess, you don't often get drawn in. You get thrown out, tossed out. But this has been my prayer for our church for a while. I want this to be a safe place where we can conf confess to somebody that we're not okay. Because there is power in confessing to somebody. L let me tell you why. Do you know that God has delivered me from a porn addiction? God has delivered me from a drug and alcohol addiction. Do you know God has delivered me from suicidal thoughts? You know why? Because he gave me the courage to actually confess those things to somebody else. And when I confessed to somebody else, the power that those things had over me was completely broken. And it was broken because somebody knew and was willing to walk with me through it. Now, by the way, if somebody comes to you and confesses something, do not turn them into your little project. Just be their friend and walk with them through it. Because I'm telling you, when, when we find the courage to confess to God, that, that's step one, and then confess to others, the power of sin is broken in our life, and we can walk in a brand new freedom. So, in just a few minutes during our invitation time, the time where Mike comes and leads us in a song, during that time, I'm going to offer you an opportunity to confess to God, what is that thing? L listen, what is that thing that's holding you back? 
And, and listen, I'm going to say this, and this might tick you off too, um, but that's okay. This is not a let it go for 40 days and then pick it back up thing. All right? I know that's a, a, a popular little thing that's done around here. That's not what the Bible says. All right? You don't get to just sit sin down for 40 days and pick it back up. This is, I'm going to step out and, 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 and I'm going to move forward. Does that make sense to everybody? That, that's what God wants you to do in your life. And so if you feel like there's something you need to confess to God, I want you to confess it to God. I want you to throw it out there. I want you to say, God, I don't, I don't need this thing in my life. And then if you feel that you need to confess to others, if you feel like you need to confess to somebody, I want to tell you this is the safest church in the world to do that because we're not going to judge you. We're going to walk alongside of you, and we're going to help you. During the invitation, every week, not just this week, but every week, if you feel like you need somebody to pray with you or for you, you can step out of your aisle. You can go to the back corners of this room. There are people on our prayer team that would love to pray with you, pray for you about whatever God is dealing with in your heart. I want this to be a place where you can legit say, God, I'm here. And, and God, there's something wrong in my life. And <clears throat> I need to deal with it. God, I need you to help me deal with it. God, I need you to help me see this the way that you see it. Because listen, it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay. And if God is dealing with us, it's because he wants to draw us closer. And so let's think about that as we enter our time of invitation. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to tell us when the stove is hot. You love us enough to pick us up and turn us away. You love us enough to send us in another direction. You love us enough, Jesus, to identify what's holding us back from becoming all you've called us to be. So, Father, I pray over these next several moments we would feel the freedom. Right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you need to confess that thing to God. And by the way, notice in this message, I didn't list out a bunch of things. I used some silly illustrations, but I want you to hear from the Holy Spirit. And maybe God is dealing with you right now. That's not a bad thing. That's an awesome thing. Maybe you just need to lift that up right now and say, God, I confess this to you. I, wa I want you to forgive me. I want you to heal me. Maybe you're here and you need to confess to somebody else. I, I want you to feel the freedom to be able to do that here in this church. Maybe you don't feel comfortable doing that. Maybe, maybe you're comfortable with the friend that brought you here today. Ask them, to, ask them to go with you. Just ask them. Listen, don't wait till after service. Don't wait five minutes. Don't wait till tomorrow. If God's dealing with you, you go. You go. Get this thing done. God, I pray over the next several minutes, God, as we confess to you, or maybe even take a step of faith and confess to others, God, that you will do something significant in our lives. God, that we would feel freedom, that we would feel a release, God. Right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here and you've never prayed to receive Jesus because you've felt condemned your whole life. Maybe you have felt like you could never pray to receive him, but, but you know what? You know today that Jesus wants to save you. If you know that and you want Jesus to come into your life or that's your next step, I want you just right where you're sitting, right there, just pray this prayer in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose from the grave. I believe you did that to pay for my sin. 
So right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, take over. Be my Lord, be my God, be my King, be my Savior. Save me from myself. Save me from this world. Save me for eternity. Today I make the commitment to follow you every day for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer, would you, would you do me a favor and, and, and tell somebody after this service? Tell me or tell someone at the welcome desk or go to the back corner during this song and let somebody pray with you and for you. Father, I want to thank you that you still save people. God, I want to thank you that you save people for all eternity. I want to thank you for the conviction, God, that you did in the hearts of people. God, it's never fun, but the results are always amazing. Thank you for the conviction you've done in my life for showing me the steps that I need to take. I don't like it, and I'm not going to have fun with it, but thank you. God, I pray for every single person here today, God, as we walk out of this place, we'd walk out with our heads not hung low, but hung high. God, knowing that what you did, you did out of love. And God, we'd walk out of here full of joy and peace and full of the knowledge that you want more for us and we want for ourselves. We love you, Jesus. Now, God, move in ways only you can in the hearts of your people through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.